This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Welcome to my second ever podcast, which is double the number of my first one last week. If you missed that, do go back and listen. It was an absolute belter with Nate Phelps, defector of the Westbrook Baptist Church. But now, on to the future, and I hope I don't sound too much like a sycophant when I tell you how excited I am to introduce my chat with Zoltan Istvan. Zoltan is, frankly, one of the most interesting people in the world. He believes very strongly that we can and will achieve immortality far sooner than many of us may think. While some people, who Zoltan calls deathists, find the idea of living forever abhorrent, many of us see it as our saving grace. The very idea has sparked thousands of years of religious practices, traditions and war. Essentially, we don't want to die. And former National Geographic correspondent Zoltan is at the forefront of that movement. Like a futuristic evangelist, he tours the US in the so-called immortality bus, shaped like a coffin, promoting the concept that death is merely a disease waiting to be cured. He opens doors with a chip in his hand, has written sci-fi novels, and is currently making a documentary about the immortality industry. In our chat, he tells me about how he just ran for president, how he believes we can bring people back from the dead through something called quantum archaeology, and tells me what inspired him to want to live forever. He's great company and full of enthusiasm, so I hope by the end of this episode, you'll also want him to stick around. Am I right in saying you're running for as a presidential candidate? You know, so I'm not running for anything anymore. Um, our, uh, the presidential candidacy for the Republican Party ended, and then I just made a very short run for the vice presidential candidacy of the Libertarian Party, which I've run for before but now everything's over i didn't uh get far in anything although the 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 presidential campaign was pretty effective we we got sixth overall in the republican race did you expect to to make any headway with that was there a realistic was it a realistic goal well no it, it was not realistic in the sense that i would actually beat trump you know uh for the nomination of the republican party to win the u.s presidency but um, it's realistic in the sense that I, I you know, I'm kind of one of the, uh, uh, I guess, leaders of the transhumanist movement. Um, I'm bringing transhumanism, you know, science and technology ideas to the Republican Party, which is known for not being very science oriented. And was that effective? Yeah, we made national news, you know, quite a bit. And we did, we, you know, we were on a ton of state ballots. So we got, you know, a lot of votes. And uh, the word traveled that, hey, there's a Republican candidate who's running under a science and technology platform. And people think about it. People think about the future that way. You know, with Trump, yeah. they just think about whatever Trump says. But 
you know, in, in my candidacy, they think about different things. So it was effective that way. Yeah, I mean, 30 million people probably heard about uh, the campaign and, and that was effective in that sense. Yeah, so in that sense, it was a success, I suppose. Yeah, no, I would say it was, uh, it was definitely a success. Um, we were hoping for an explosion of popularity, but uh, that never happened. But at the same time, we, 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 we can't complain because our team and I did really well in terms of just getting the message in front of people. And, yeah. you know, I, I might have a shot at the presidency or a major elected office in 12 years, 16 years. And the goal is you work up, you know, you work up to that. And uh, one day it might be that my moment comes and I yeah. have been around long enough putting my time in. Yeah, I suppose he's 70 something, isn't he? So you've got a good 30 years and actually, when you look at a lot of politicians that have uh, ended up making it, they often have lost, you know, four or five times uh, before. So, you know, it's it's very typical to lose campaigns and then one day win. Did you ever see that uh, that documentary, Gringo, about the guy who did the Yeah, McAfee's? I have seen Gringo, yeah. And I know John McAfee too, so yeah. Wow, yeah, he was a strange guy. <laughs> yeah, he's wild. He was, uh, you know, he's he's running for various offices all the time as well and doing his cryptocurrency thing. But yeah, you know, I mean, you just never, you never know. If you had got, a, if you were president, uh, what what ideas would you implement? Just a very basic, you know, uh, summary. Well, I think you know the very first thing we would do on day one is try to declare aging um, a, a a disease. And the reason is that most transhumanists, and for your listeners who don't know, transhumanism is a field that wants to use science and technology to modify the human being and also to modify the human experience. And, and uh, that means anything from exoskeleton uh, suits to brain implants to even things as simple as driverless cars, but it's always radical technology. But mostly, you know, the number one goal of transhumanism, at least to me and to many others, is that we want to overcome biological death with science and technology. And um, ultimately, Aging is really why most people die, the organ failure through aging. And so we would like to declare it a disease for the United States government. And therefore, we would the National Institute of Health would be able to legally put in billions of dollars of funding to overcome that. Right now, we don't treat aging as a disease anywhere essentially in the world. Um, we treat it as just like a natural phenomenon of life. But if you actually targeted the research, the medical stuff, the science to, to go after aging and stop it, um, which, of course, some a lot of private companies are already doing. A huge amount of new funding would flow in. And the reason you make breakthroughs in transhumanism is because of funding. So if you have the money, you will find a cure to death. You will find ways to modify the human being. You, you, you know, you, everything is possible with enough funding and science. It's a very uh, capitalistic idea, isn't it, I guess? Uh, uh, this idea that if we, with the technology, if we build it and then we make money through different ways and then we can solve each problem as it comes to us. Uh, do you do you see it actually happening? I guess I guess will it be a sudden realization, or is this a very gradual thing, uh, sort of sort of getting uh, immortality? Well, I, I think it. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you one day someone invents something, and you have immortality. It's not like that. Immortality is much more. Will probably come to a point when we could keep maybe sixty or seventy percent of the people alive for an extra ten or twenty years. And in that 10 or 20 years, we'll figure out other ways to keep people alive. People die because of organ failure. The number one killer in the world is heart disease. So if you can uh, effectively replace the heart with, let's say, a bionic heart, which people are trying to do, then you could take away that disease from why people die. And eventually, though, the kind of the holy grail of transhumanism is really reversing aging. Um, and we've had some success with mice and regenerating cells and things like that. But there's a lot of people that are hoping one day in 
10, 20, 30 years, we'll have a, a pill on the market or some kind of gene therapies, which people are already trying to literally change your genes so that they don't age or they make it so cells don't age. And that's really where the holy grail is. But in the meantime, Silicon Valley is really focusing on uh, 3D printed organs and stem cell therapies that rejuvenate things, the damage caused and stuff like that to keep people alive longer. And we're having success with that. But, you know, it, it's not an overnight thing. It's, it's a, it, you know, people are living longer than ever before if they don't have obesity issues. And, but the, the problem, though, is that it's to really get to the next hurdle to go from 100 to an average of 120 is going to be a lot. It's going to take a lot more than just helping organs out. It's going to take replacing organs. Oh, my God. I hope you're right about this, man. I mean, I would vote for you because I, I remember it's so funny, this world we grow up in, because we don't really, you know, as children, we don't question this. And then you get to an age, I think a lot of people get this when they're 13 or 14 or 18 or 19 or whatever it might be, where you suddenly realize uh, oh, wow, there's just an infinite void. It's a, a happy topic for the, the, the podcast. Did you have a moment like that, that that got you into this? Well, you know, my main moment is I used to be a journalist for National Geographic, and I was covering a story in Vietnam where I almost stepped on a landmine uh, because I was working a story in the demilitarized zone. And the landmine incident really just kind of got my brain thinking like, wow, I could have died. I'm young. <laughs> that is not, uh, th that's just not smart. And um, but more importantly, it's not just smart. It's it's what can you do if you'd actually had half your body blown off? And then, you know, it got me thinking, is there some people out there that are working on really removing existential risk from human life? And it turns out transhumanism has been around for 10, 20, 30 years, and it's growing tremendously now, especially in Silicon Valley, where I live. I mean, a lot of the billionaires are starting to put a lot of their money into focusing on anti-aging therapies and living a lot longer because they also don't want to die. When some kind of movement like that happens and then the popular culture starts joining, like the New York Times is starting to let me write uh, quite a bit about transhumanism, um, all of a sudden it's like we're coming sort of like in – see, transhumanism is almost like the environmental movement. You know, 25, yeah. 30 years ago, nobody thought cutting down a tree or very few people thought cutting down a tree was a big deal or not recycling was, was bad. You know, um, now it's like we're all very green. We've been kind of cultured and conditioned to think, protect the planet you know, as a whole. And transhumanism will be the same way. Probably in five, 10 years, many people start thinking, you know, I, I would like a robotic eye, or I would like maybe not a robotic eye so soon, <laughs> but they'll start thinking, you know, that, that, that could be part of the future. And then when they lose something like an eye, they'll say, hey, this is great. So it's, it's a cultural conditioning as we sort of say, you know what, modifying our bodies is acceptable um, to live better lives. It just mm. becomes functional. So that's where, but you know, if you look at any social movement, there are moments, there are hiccups, there are, you know, breakups or factions that, but the progress is upward. And we believe we're going to come to a future when more people want to be cyborgs than not. You know what I think might be one of the biggest stumbling blocks, and you've probably thought about this as well, is that I think we've been, as you say, conditioned to such a point that people, uh, almost like in a religious way, convince themselves they wouldn't want to live forever. And I think uh, at least a lot of people I've spoken to, friends of mine, they would always say, why would you live forever? And the literature, movies, Harry Potter, for example, the person who wants to live forever is always seen as the selfish, uh, greedy person. And I think we have to tell ourselves that because we know we're going to... To die. So I guess, do you think it's a little bit about telling people that it's not so selfish or it's not so bad? Well, to, you know. Yeah, 
yeah, I mean, transhumanists call these people deathists, and frankly, the majority of the world are deathists, meaning people who embrace the culture of death and dying. Now, most of the deathists believe that there is an afterlife, and that's they get to go to this uh, wonderful place with Jesus or Allah or whoever it is. And um, and he, but there are plenty of atheists who also don't want to live forever. So it's not like it's really just we've been cultured to think that terminal existence is good. But transhumanists don't believe that. They think, you know, first off, everyone, the main argument is that, oh, life will be really boring if you live forever. But that's it might be really boring if you were just a human being, a biological, you know, six foot or, you know, I guess in England, two meter entity that's just walking yeah. around. But that's not our future. Our future is connecting our brains to artificial intelligence, to becoming artificial intelligence, to becoming pure data, pure forms of life, quantum intelligence. The AI age might only live, you know, only last 10 or 15 years before we discover something beyond AI. Mm. We span the cosmos with our consciousness. So, and, and, and that gets a little weird and a little almost quasi-religious, but that's really what the singularity and some of these far-fetched transhumanist ideas are about. The most important thing to understand though is that we're not gonna remain biological beings with just like a kilo of meat on our head, which we can think with. We're going to become very different types of living conscious entities. And that's all part of the transhumanist trajectory. So life will be very, very interesting as we grow and evolve into completely new types of beings. So what's a really strange thought for me, because I've heard you talk about mind uploading before. And I guess it's this feeling, I remember reading something when I was about 11 years old, some philosophy book for kids or something. And it was this idea of like, if there was such a thing as a transporter that could, you walk into it and it transports you and then you're on Mars and you go and work in the mines in Mars and then you're transported back to the planet Earth. Um, And then they find out later what's happening is they're incinerating the first person and they're cloning, they're producing a clone on Mars. And then every time you come home from Mars, you're incinerating that person and, and so on. So the second person's not you. And I guess that's how I, what I wonder about mind uploading. Presumably you could copy and paste a hundred of these people and none of them might be you. I tend to think if you have an exact clone of somebody, uh, truly an exact clone, it's impossible to say that it's not you because the other clone would argue that I am you 100% in the exact yeah. same way that you would argue. So in my belief, I think a clone of me is actually another one of me. Now, I realize two of us might be like, hey, we're not the same, but within that instant, you actually become something different. But mm-hmm. at, in the beginning, if there's no known clone, then you both feel that you're 100% there. And so, uh, at least in my way of thinking, that is a sort of form of immortality. It's not perfect though. I would like the continuity of my consciousness to go Yeah, that's on. the issue, the consciousness, isn't it? That's what it seems like. But you know, then you have something like sleeping where we all fall asleep and forget, and then we wake up and we, how do we know that, you know, I did my senior thesis uh, in college on brains in a vat. How can you and I right now prove that we're not just being brains in a vat controlled by some scientists in some other world? There's really no way to philosophically do that. And when we go to sleep and wake up, we don't even know. And then there's also the idea that even our cells change, you know, quite, some of them die, some of them are renewed. There's all, you know, there's brand new cells. Our self, our sense of identity, even our sense of thinking is quite different. When you have the flu, you're quite a different person mentally because there's all these other things going on. So the point is continuity of consciousness may not be as important as just a belief, a really structural philosophical belief that I'm still here even if I'm changed a little. And so I'm a big believer in uploading ourselves as a means of having it. But the problem with uploading is Who's just going to upload one version of themselves? I mean, you give me the, the thing, I'm going to upload a thousand. I have an army of Zoltans, 
and maybe all different variations. And that's my creation, almost like art. And yeah. so, it, you know, it's not just like, we all like to think on a linear level, like, oh, there's an uploaded version now, that's how I get to go. But the reality is we might become millions of us very, very quickly, like any virus would. And mm. so, it, it, you know, we have to think outside of the box when we think about things like mind uploading, just because philosophically, it's not a linear process. It's going to be something much more mm. of exponential conscious creation. Because which of those thousand Zoltans that you've uploaded has your consciousness? Well, I mean, you know, which of the Zoltans that wakes up in the morning also has my consciousness from the one last night. You know, I've been altered because of dreams oh. or my biology has changed. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, the, the one that I've uploaded has 100% the same DNA. And except for maybe three or four minutes from the point it wakes up and maybe has some different thoughts would be identical to me. It's probably more identical than actually a person who goes to sleep, sleeps six hours and wakes up because we're always constantly changing. I mean, I'm going to be a changed person in very minute ways from this conversation. And the same thing is if I had a clone this second, it would take about five seconds for that clone to be a little bit changed. The, the point I'm trying to make is that it, it's not a perfect world. It's not perfect continuity of consciousness, but it's quite close. Yeah. And for some of us who don't require perfection, it's going to be good enough for me to know that I have a mind uploaded clone out there. And I would say, well, at least Zoltan continues in, in some sense. And for me, it's a very significant sense. It's not as good as, let's say, I get to go through the door. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very close for me. Yeah. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random 
random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com slash heretics and get three extra months for free. That's expressvpn.com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn.com slash heretics to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're blowing my mind, Zoltan. It's really because I, I've, you know, I've wanted this. I need an answer since, in the same way that people look to religion for an answer, I've needed, and I, to me, that just never held water. So I need some sort of answer. How long would you like to live for? Is there a number? I would probably want to live indefinitely because I think the miracle of life is quite amazing, and I'm generally happy and I like mm. to explore and I know I'm evolving and technology is helping us do a life. For me, it's an infinite amount of life years. Nobody would want to live perpetually in a state of complete total tragedy or total pain. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, there are limits to how I would want to. But if, I, if I'm kind of who I am now, I would like to go on forever. Have you given any thought, or is it just so far away to, you know, I suppose in 100 million years, I think we'll go back into some sort of glacial uh, the period and in a, a billion years this the sun will engulf or is it eight billion the the earth uh and that kind of thing or is that just so far and you'll be eight billion years old by then well i mean I, I think really the majority of history happens in the next 100 to 200 years as the microprocessor has you know through moore's law and even if moore's law is not perfect it's still doubling every 18 months 24 months if that continues then, you know, you start getting to points here just 20, 30 years in the future when, you know, the size of your fingernail contains all the subatomic particle configurations of the entire, you know, this galaxy, for example. And you have processing power that can make sense of it. And we have, you know, have things like quantum archaeology, which is a very funny, you know, so your, your listeners know that quantum archaeology is this branch of transhumanism. Uh, sort of on the fringe where people want to resurrect the dead and you resurrect the dead through reverse engineering parts of the universe um, because we believe that most molecular, most subatomic particles are mathematical. So therefore you can reverse it like you would reverse anything else. And then through 3D printing, which is already here, we can already 3D print out, let's say a finger or an ear, but certainly within 20, 30 years, we'll be able to 3D print out an entire human being. So through those two technologies, you reverse engineer parts of your world and you get back to 50 years ago when, let's say, your great-grandfather died, and then you 3D print him out. This is, um, <laughs> no one's sure this works. No one's sure this works. Sure. But there are dedicated groups of transhumanists that have made it their point in life to try to resurrect every single person who has ever lived. This is not DNA. This is going back through quarks and subatomic particles, reverse engineering how the universe has gone through time, and, and figuring out what they look like and then pressing the print button. But the point I meant, the reason I mentioned this is that this is probably, the technology for this will likely be here within a hundred years time and probably by the end of the century. 
So yeah. we're talking about a, a situation beyond just connecting our brains to AI and beyond just the idea of like even becoming different cyborg beings of bringing back anyone and everything who has ever lived. Uh, like I said, there are people that believe it's their the true humanitarian job is not just to save people's lives now, but to bring them back. We'll have this technology, how we decide mm -hmm. to use it. If we decide to use it, people in their will are very soon going to have to say either resurrect me or do not resurrect me because wow. there will be this possibility in the future to do this kind of thing. And so you'll have to ask yourself, you know, like my father died a few years ago. Did mm -hmm. he want to come back? <laughs> you know, if he, and if he brought back, maybe my mom's remarried, you know, all these, it gets very <laughs> confusing very quickly. Um, this is the power of technology. It's the power of transhumanism. It's not always good or bad or anything that it's more neutral, but the reality yeah. is it's going to challenge us to the core of our philosophical belief because we have things like Pascal's wager where you, you it's some people think it's best to believe in God just because right. not believing God doesn't help you, but believing God at least might lead you to heaven. But what about believing in technology that might bring you back too? It, yeah. it, so, you know, we have this transhumanist wager. The point though, is that transhumanist technology is making everything very confusing and it's all coming and yeah. the, tr the, the technology is going to be here. It's already here to some extent. I mean, you and I are on this, you know, even 20, 30 years ago, this thing where you are doing now would seem crazy. And 100 years ago, this would be magic. We might have been burned at the stake <laughs> for what we're doing here on yeah. Zoom. Technology changes. Have you thought about who you would bring back from history? I would bring back Jesus Christ because I'm a secular person yeah. who has been fighting religion uh, a lot of my life because I think religion has sort of slowed down progress. It, you know, it has slowed down the ability to bring back, uh, to move forward science. And so it's very important for me to bring back the most important historical figure and, and ask him, are you really the son of God? And yeah. can you do these miracles? And I know this upsets a lot of people, yeah. but if Christians really believe that Jesus is the son of God and can do all these things, and, you know, they might want to bring him back because, you know, yeah. he would be here to help humanity. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. But You'd have to I, show he's a real person, was ever a real person. Though. Of course you would, you know, and that, you know, that gets a little bit nitty gritty. But <laughs> the point, though, is that I often say it's him because he, he is the most, you know, well-known figure in history. And I think I'm one of the goals I've had for a long time is to make people less fundamental about religion and more open minded about spirituality that can come from using science and technology. Right. Uh, maybe God does exist. I mean, I don't believe that right now, but. If he does or she does exist or whatever it is, I think technology and science can help us get there a lot mm. more quickly. And this is the kind of radical thinking that you think, okay, well, that, that's the very first person I'd bring back. Do you think you face a little bit more backlash and you have to sometimes give a little bit in terms of using words like spirituality in the States uh, because it is quite religious? Well, I mean, it's, it's crazy religious and, you know, Trump's only making it worse. You know, you, you go to Europe and all of a sudden everyone seems rational and sensible. <laughs> well, <laughs> not all of America, us. <laughs> especially in the middle of the country, the Bible Belt area. And, um, you know, the thing I just said about 3D printing Jesus up, this is taken the wrong way. This would be very, you know, people get very upset. You'd have riots. So, you, you know, you have to, people in America are definitely, um, I think, not as, with it when it comes to thinking philosophically outside the box our educational system is just not as good as europe and people show it all across the country all the time i know, uh, you know a lot of people didn't realize that maybe in the last 10 20 years they've been realizing it a lot in the last four or five years in america it's very frustrating actually for someone someone like me because i want to see you your movement succeed 
uh, and I look at America and you have some of the leading thinkers in the world and also you have this Bible Belt side of it. So it's just such an extreme side and it feels like one side is holding the other one back depending on your perspective, which one is which. Well, well it is. So, you know, the main goal of transhumanism is to try to use science and technology to overcome biological death. But that requires Congress to pass money and bills so that it can yeah. do it. But the problem here is we have 535 members of Congress. Every single one of them in public says they believe in an afterlife. We have mm. nine Supreme Court justices who make all the laws. Every yeah. single one of them believes in an afterlife, they say. And the same thing with, of course, with the president and the vice president. So our entire government, everyone that's of importance, says that they believe in afterlife. So therefore... They don't want to spend the money on anti-aging technologies. They want to spend the money on yeah. spreading their, you know, wars or whatever crazy stuff they do all over the country. Yeah. We could probably conquer death within 10 years if the government would take all the, the, the military and defense budget, or at least half it, and put it directly towards science. We would yeah. change the, the world's uh, science programs just because so much money would flow in. But they, they're not going to do that because it doesn't fit their religious agenda. Mm. Almost anyone who controls the purse strings believes that they should die and that dying is a good thing so that they can meet their maker. This has been the biggest crux and the biggest issue, essentially, in transhumanisms. We can't get enough money to fund the kind of science projects that we need. It all has to come from the private, private environment. And there's just not enough money in the private world because a lot of the great inventions yeah. have come through government funding because they're willing to take chances. Have you tried to get Elon Musk on board? We have Elon Musk is kind of uh, has stayed sort of outside of the <clears throat> indefinite lifespan thing, maybe even almost against it. But, you know, everyone else is has been very much on board. I mean, even Mark Zuckerberg recently gave three billion dollars with the quote to end all disease by the end of the century. That's the wow. same thing of, of saying I live a lot longer. Uh, Peter Thiel doesn't even matter if you're right or left. Um, there's a lot quite a few new billionaires. So just to give your you know listeners a, a feeling about six years ago, the amount of funding in longevity industry was $1 billion. Yeah. And now Bank of America is saying by 2025, uh, it's going to be 600 billion. So it's astronomical kind of the amount of funding that's going in to life extension. Of course, coronavirus has stopped like 200,000 experiments around the yeah. world, but yeah. hopefully most of them will catch up again. But, um, we, you know, we will get back, I think, eventually and we'll, you know, we'll find a path forward for humanity to live indefinitely. And then I think many of the religious people will quietly say, oh, well, we can still live forever and believe in God, which which makes, you know, that's a much more sensible approach to it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you worry that you might miss it? The, I the will moment? probably wish. It's crazy. I got to tell you, the coronavirus, uh, the, the sheer lockdown has probably stopped three to five years of science progress in America. Maybe not so much now. Maybe the economy is a little bit better than I thought. But no matter how you look at it, it stopped at least 18 months, probably two years, three years. When you look, if we if we solve aging by, let's say, the year 2030 versus 2050, we will be able to save one billion lives, one billion. So every single year is equivalent to 30, 40, 50 uh, million lives. So if we stop, let's say, by 2045 versus 2047, we're talking 100 million extra lives have been saved because we, we moved the ball that much closer to the goalpost. The other thing is, I've heard you say this before, because the, the main question you get is, is overpopulation. Uh, and you said um, that if it was doubled, we, you know, we, we could support that amount on the earth right now. But presumably within 100 years or 200 years, we'd have more than double the population. It would be a lot more and more and more. So you're talking about saving a billion 
it's, it, each 20 years or so, isn't there going to come a point where, oh, we've got to move planets or what? Well, I, I think you have to understand, if we come to the point where we can actually stop aging, we've come that far in science. That means we have bionic organs. We have the ability to use gene therapies to grow like new arms and new organs. We're going to find new ways to feed ourselves. In fact, feeding, like if the 50-year window does no longer involves food. It, it just, and it doesn't involve going to the bathroom. It doesn't involve, it's just like the 50-year window probably doesn't involve fossil fuels for energy production. It probably involves only things that are natural because we're going to leave this idea that we need to breathe oxygen. I mean, you know, like if you were to, if you, if you were God and you were to try to create a human being or, or a living entity, you would never create something that gets hot or cold or, or needs to breathe <laughs> oxygen you, or needs to eat and hunt. You would create something like we would create a cyborg, which is a cyborg would have maybe solar panels or a fusion energy inside itself. And it can power itself and, and, and fix itself all the time. We Humans are fragile. And I think that's the main thing that transhumanists believe is that, well, humans may be great. We might be like this, you know, super entity in, on planet Earth. If we were to remake ourselves with all the power, hopefully we'll have 30, 40 years, we would not create a world where we're dependent upon oxygen or we're dependent on food. And of course, this means that we could have hundreds of millions more people. And this is how transhumanists also defend this quantum archaeology, because one of the main questions is, well, okay, great. You want to bring back anyone, everyone who's ever died. What about overpopulation? But again, we're talking about such radical technologies, we'd already be in a brand new era, hopefully the Star Trek era. And then we started looking at different planets. And maybe people have uploaded themselves, don't even have physical bodies. So <laughs> as, as, as our philosophical, we, we like to imagine the future as something concrete. We, we anthropomorphize. We say it's just like it is now. But the reality is if you take 20, 30 years in the future, we're not going to have the same moral systems. We're not going to have the same philosophical values. Our, our sense of identity will adjust with the technology, just like our sense of identity has adjusted with privacy and stuff like that, as all of a sudden we all now carry cell phones. We didn't imagine that 40 years ago, but we, ch we adjusted with it because that's how things happen. I think the same thing will happen with overpopulation. Uh, it, it's, it's a big issue in my opinion, don't get me wrong, yeah. but... I think the bigger issue is that we actually have to eat. We have to kill all these animals. We have to farm. We have to destroy the planet. We'll get to a point when we can recreate the planet in a very pristine Eden through science and technology. And that's the answer to the environmental issues. I totally believe we're killing the planet, but I also believe we can save it with technology. We just need to get to that point when we have that technology. Man, I hope so. I guess my, my biggest concern is that I guess a lot of creativity comes from... Uh comes from sort of accident even we've even evolved from accidents and uh, things going wrong and so on and that's what gives us you know the energy to go on and i guess i worry it might turn out a little bit like in wally that movie and we're just sort of fat and sitting there <laughs> well look that 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 is the, the big challenge and i can't even tell you that's not going to happen hmm. because uh right now that is happening I mean, that's why america is almost so <laughs> beast you know i mean we have we have no obesity epidemic i mean it's terrible and it's yeah. killing people. I mean, even now the COVID-15, everyone's gained 15 pounds yeah. since they've been on lockdown. It's, it's true. I mean, people are, myself included, I am, uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's hard to keep our same patterns going. But the point is that it's up to us to fix that. And maybe we'll even have a pill or something that can keep us all <laughs> healthy and skinny forever. I mean, yeah. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but uh, yeah. there's no way to escape laziness at this mo moment unless we get a brain implant or something. Yeah, but yeah, right yeah. now, uh, 
you know, the Wally is, is a good argument. What are you going to do today? I have uh, a few other interviews. I'm doing a little bit of writing and uh, putting together a new book. And uh, we have a new documentary coming out, just so you know, on June yes. 23rd. And I'm really, it's called Immortality or Bus, Four Years in the make, in the Making. Uh, it won the award at the uh, uh, Raw Science Film Festival in Los Angeles wow. last year. So we're really excited about it. It should be all over because uh, it's coming out on a ton of cable channels, too. Um, but yeah, you can check that out. Immortality Bus, uh, June 23rd. Please buy the uh, yeah. pre-order the iTunes version because we have to get to a certain level in order to get a certain amount of PR from the companies. Okay, uh, and, so the iTunes version. Yeah, it's twelve ninety nine. Sorry, but um, it is worth it. You'll have it, and it's a very fun thing. It's a very sad story. It's a, it's me driving my coffin bus across the country as my dad is dying. Oh, so God. you know, it's 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 a it's a tough. <laughs> I'm running for president, campaigning against death, and here's my father dying. So it's a tough story. <sighs> it's gonna maybe make you cry, but it's beautiful in a sense as it shows what the movement's all about. And I go around the country visiting all the different transhumanist groups. There's a ton of factions, so it's very interesting because, like I said, some are off off the, yeah. ra- the range, and others are just scientists, and then some are more interested in crime. I mean, we're, we're all over the place. So it, it covers yeah. the entire movement. It sounds amazing. I think I should ask people as well to follow you on Twitter, Zoltan Istvan. It's quite easy to find you. Yeah, Zoltan underscore Istvan. Thanks for listening. And I hope you found that as interesting as I did. Whether we'll actually be able to live forever, I won't hold my breath. But some of the theories Zoltan came out with absolutely blew my mind. Please do subscribe to this on Spotify. It'll be out on Apple soon and a video version is available already on my YouTube page. Head to andrewgold underscore OK on Twitter for the link. You know the drill. Follow, subscribe, and I'll see you next week when I'll have another person who fascinates me and hopefully you on the show. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.